I'm Dr. Mohammed Noor, and this is the Shuttlepod Show. Damn it, Jim, I'm a biologist, not an engineer. Welcome to another episode of the Shuttlepod Show. Today we have very special guest, Dr. Muhammad Noor. We'll be answering your fan questions, doing some Star Trek trivia, finding ourselves on Connor's remote island, of course, mm. and much more. As always, our Patreon members get a full extended version of this episode. I'm Erica LaRose, but before we move on, we have a special message from Andy Robinson. Like, subscribe, and join us on Patreon. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Heat him well. Yeah, where's the AC up here? <laughs> yeah, Andy. we need air conditioning. <laughs> it's hot. Uh, it is hot. And it's now good to see everyone. For yeah. your hosts, Connor Trinier and Dominic Keating. Hey, guys. Hey guys. We're all back together. We're we got all the back band together. The yeah. band is back together. Yeah. Finally. Yeah, you had A bit banged up. up. Oh, well, we're the three Bs. You're burned, you're bruised, I'm and bruised. broken. And he's oh. broken. He's broke his toes. I, I broke my toe. Oh, oh, you weren't even joking. No, oh. no, he's not. He no. was running to, to look at a shark on the beach in Malibu on it was, Saturday night. It was late at night. Uh, <laughs> this is not a bullshit story. <laughs> this is full on. I, I was in Malibu on Saturday night, and uh, night being the uh, important word here. Oh. And I don't know, there might have been some tequila involved. Oh, there might have but been. But that's irrelevant. And somebody <laughs> said, hey, we caught a shark. And I was like... And they said, who wants to pet it? And I was like, I want to pet the shark. <laughs> so I got up. Yeah, and that I was tequila. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, normally I wouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah. And I sprinted over there and I didn't see this log and, and I kicked oh. it. And I was like, ah, oh, that's going to hurt later. Oh. And um, I but I want to pet the shark. <laughs> yeah, I petted the shark and then I got back and I was like, I. I think I broke my toe. Yeah. Oh. Don't you usually jump the shark? Oh. And then, uh, <laughs> well, you got to pet it first. <laughs> you got to get near it. Um, I'd like to follow up from uh, Sunday and just thank everyone who stepped up uh, and became Patreon members and donated to the show. Uh, we can't thank you enough. It's that kind of support we need. And um, please keep it coming. Um, also, I would like to thank uh, Sandra Bucket. I'm wearing one of her T-shirts that she oh, gave me for oh. my birthday. <laughs> and um, on a slightly sadder note, uh, her sister passed away. I, I wasn't aware, particularly on Sunday, Sally. So my condolences to you, Sandra. And I know that she um, she had this beautiful painting, which I did uh, preview on Sunday, that's commissioned beautiful. for me, which is really lovely. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, God bless her. Is that a um, a cardinal and it a, is a cardinal uh, and a blue and a red tit. <laughs> mm. No, the cardinal's a red one, and then uh, there's a um, what I, are those I, ones I called? This wrong. It's like the it's the state bird of Washington. No, it's oh, a, it? it's a it's a it's a yellow and black bird. <laughs> the, official, the, official, yeah. the official name, name. The, the, official, the official apparently we're showing off our biology skills already uh, the show that she liked watching in her in the last days god bless was that uh, sitcom Desmond's no saying. really yeah I know with, with subtitles I should imagine mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway thank you Sandra uh, number one fan so with that all said ladies and gentlemen boys and girls treks and trekkers we are delighted to have in the uh, the golden throne chair this morning, 
<laughs> I think if my math is right, our fourth doctor, mm. with the caveat... <laughs> that it is in fact our first real one. <laughs> Let's not uh around the bush with that. That's right. That's very um, Yes, a doctor. Uh he's been a professor, of course. Uh he's been a dean. He is now a provost. Uh he is uh a massive Star Trek fan. Uh he has contributed to the fandom enormously. And uh, I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Mohammed Noor. Welcome oh, to the yeah, show, yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. As you mentioned, too, uh, of course, I'm a Patreon of the ShuttlePod show as well. So. Oh, <laughs> well, let me go so back that. over that. Yeah. Right. Thank you for being a patron. <laughs> this, is who you, this is who you need to follow. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, let's get right to it. Uh, sure. How old were you when you got into Star Trek, mate? Uh, probably about eight years old. Actually, well, let me start by saying thank you so much for having me. It's oh, really right. an honor to be here. Yeah. <laughs> but I was probably about eight years old when I first uh, saw my first Star Trek episode. And I remember which one it was, too. It was an original series episode for The World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. Right. And Remind me of that uh, premise. Sure. So the, basically, there's a bunch of people on an on an asteroid and they don't realize they're on an asteroid and it's just speeding away. And, right. and they think it's like that's the, the whole world, but Kirk, Spock, and McCoy all go down there and they, they tell them, actually, you're on this asteroid that's on a collision course for a planet and they try to divert it but there's a computer involved that's, you know... The evil we, computer episode. Exactly. Yeah. One of the many evil computer the episodes in the original <laughs> series of Star Trek. But I saw it when I was probably about seven or eight years old. It wasn't done... This was in reruns, of course, because I wasn't... No, you're it, probably... You, that wouldn't have been... It would have been reruns for you. I yeah. mean, what, what, I don't want to give your age away, but... That's no, okay. I'm 52. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> God damn it. You're 52. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That pisses me off. <laughs> uh, so that... and you just, Did you know... In, in immediately that this this yes. this this fodder was definitely for you. I late. loved it. And what I was it about it? it? Well, I loved that there was a discovery aspect to it. I loved that these people didn't understand the world that was around them. I was already a big science fan in general. Mm -hmm. And I'd seen Star, Star Wars and things like that. But this had this more discovery, understanding, this build through the, throughout as opposed to just, you know, fight and lasers and things like that. Yeah. Right. So I loved that aspect. too. So as soon as I, this, I was out of town when I saw the episode, as soon as I got home, found it on a local TV station and caught as much as I could from reruns. Then after that, I watched all the movies as they came out, you know, Wrath of Khan, uh, Search for Spock, et cetera. And every series that's come out since then, like as right. it aired, I watched every one. I have to say, I almost stopped after second season of Next I was Generation. Say it's probably Enterprise. No, 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 not Enterprise. I loved Enterprise. Actually, my my son's favorite series is Enterprise. Is that right? yeah. I'm sorry, what? Say that again. I said my son's favorite Adam. series oh, is Enterprise. You, Adam. Yep, Adam so that, would have, that was his first uh, introduction, was it? Did you, or did you, we started with Voyager and then we went to did. Enterprise from uh -huh. there. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Virginia, southeastern Virginia. Virginia, Hampton. Right. Yeah, I was born in Australia, but then moved as, a, as an infant. Oh, yeah. oh you're actually a Aussie. Yeah. <laughs> You'd never know, mate. Yeah, no. <laughs> Whereabouts in Australia did you grow up? I was born in Sydney, but I lived there for three months, so it wasn't uh, okay. very long at all. So your parents are uh, Australian? <laughs> well, they, they were Egyptian citizens. They just happened to be living there. So my father was a professor as well. Uh, so he was there in Australia teaching at the University of New South Wales. He was an aerospace engineer. Oh, and then he moved over to uh, George Washington University. And he was teaching wow. remotely at the NASA Langley Research Campus. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereabouts in Egypt did they come Cairo. from? Cairo. All uh, my family besides my parents live in Cairo. Cairo. My parents are actually still in the same house. The that dusty city. Are they still there? It's uh, Everybody else. And my parents are still in, in Hampton. And all the rest of my relatives are still in Cairo. Right. Yeah. All I was just talking ones. about, I went to Egypt, God, God, it must be nearly 40 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and stayed in Cairo for a bit before taking a, a cruise up that Nile. Yeah. There's going to be a huge eclipse this in 24, isn't there? That's right. Luxor's the place to go and that see it. That is the place to Are go. Are you going to go? I'm not going to go for that, no. no. <laughs> well, well, me and my, me and my, my girl are thinking of going, so. We did a cruise. You mean the one in Vegas? 
no, Luxor the Luxor in Vegas. The Luxor in Vegas. I mean, it's only like an hour and a half flight. <laughs> oh my goodness! No, I mean, <laughs> Wait, there's another one. <laughs> do you uh, do you uh, oh, do you go back to Egypt at all? I've, I've visited there a few times, especially growing up when I was living with my parents. We go every year, every other year, especially starting when I, starting when they were naturalized citizens. So probably when I was about seven is when we started going, mm-hmm. and I went every year, every other year growing up. And then since then, it's more infrequent because you know for me it's more distant relatives, and, yeah, and sadly, of course, as time goes by, a lot of them passed away. Yep. Yeah, God yeah. bless. Yeah. Uh, were were mum and dad uh, into Star Trek on account of the no? No, so really a, not. This was a discovery. <laughs> Even after yours? No, I mean they, they they are amused by my love for it, and they are they are generous in their acceptance of that. But, oh, they, yes. but they don't they don't partake <laughs> so much themselves. <laughs> All right. They're supportive. I'll give them that. <laughs> so then you you got into. Coming to the conventions, right? Yes. And uh, just as a fan, as it were, initially? Yeah, so my first commission was 2014. So I have oh, a, I have a daughter as well as my son. My daughter, well, actually, she's, she says she's not a Star Trek fan, but she could name anything about any series and knows them all very well. But in 2014... Sounds like a fan. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> in 2014, she suggested we go to Dragon Con because she was, at the time, a big Doctor Who fan and said, oh, there's going to be a lot of doctors there and there's a lot of Star Trek people because Patrick Stewart was going to be there and a lot of things. So she said, why don't we go to that? So that was my first convention. That's experience. you're in the deep end. At that was Con. definitely yeah. jumping into the deep I mean, end. That is that's yeah. four hotels. They lock down. Five now. Yeah. Is it five? It's now? five now. Yeah. What city is it? Is it Atlanta? Atlanta. It's Atlanta. Yeah. Isn't it? You have like the hamster. Yeah. To go from hotel to hotel. Exactly. First one I went to, I remember just going from whatever hotel they put me in to go to the hotel where I was going to go sign up, and there was just a pack of anime girls in tartan miniskirts <laughs> with their hair all you know. It was like. Oh my yeah. god, it's like I've landed on another planet. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm strangely <laughs> curiously. It was a great experience though. And so that was 2014. 2014 was a great experience. I loved the, seeing the panels. I loved um just the fandom there and just being able to nerd out with a bunch of other nerds. But the thing that surprised me was that how much science there was there. There was a lot of people giving science talks right. at Dragon Con. Right. So it was actually at that or just after that, I reached out to our friend Garrett Wong who actually runs the Trek track at Dragon Con. He does, right? doesn't he? Yeah, and I said, you know, what would you think of my giving a, a talk about, say, evolution in, in the context of Star Trek? And he said, we're always looking for more science content. Right. So, yeah. Because that's your forte, really, isn't it? You're a, a biology professor in the field of uh, evolution and ecology. Uh, yeah, exactly. My degree's in ecology and evolution. Though my right. specialty is evolutionary genetics. Yeah. Right. Very good. <laughs> so uh, I was thinking about this because uh, I read Sapiens. I mean, uh-huh. is, that, is that basically the same page that you're on or...? <sighs> Well, so, I mean, the way I study evolution in terms of my research laboratory is we're trying, well, I guess classically what we've done is we've tried to understand what are the genetic changes it takes to make a new species, Yeah. right? So, for example, like if we were to go, or generally speaking, if you think of species, species are essentially gene pools, like people who yeah. are individuals which can exchange genes with each other. So what keeps them from exchanging genes with other species? Some of that is mate preference. Like if we saw a chimpanzee, we're not physically attracted to it. It thinks we're weird hairless things too. Right. So what I use is I use things like fruit flies to try to understand what is the genetic basis Drosophila. for this. Pre- yeah, very good. Oh. Yeah, you've done your research. <laughs> he keeps getting told that. <laughs> it's killing and him. it's not as though 
we don't get the same stuff. I'm just faster on the draw than you. Oh, my God. I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. Say it. Sosofala. I just don't get a chance. I dated her for a couple of weeks. We did a play together. So fruit flies are particularly good for this because they mutate quickly and you can introduce. It's more they're small. You can have rapid generations, things like that. So what we want to do is we want to do a series of genetic crosses and forced matings. People don't like it when we do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but with the fruit flies, you can pair whoever you want with whatever you want and, and try to understand what the genetic basis of any trait is. And the generation time is like two weeks. So okay. it's very easy to work with. Right. Yeah. You've Very lots easy. Of fruit flies oh my gosh, I've committed fruit fly genocide. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> There's so many flies. You name them? No. We've no. Never I never even considered that. You're a so where was your mass murderer? Oh <laughs> millions god. are dead. Oh. Where was uh <laughs> Please donate to the Drosophila fund. <laughs> Every fruit, fruit fly's life is important yeah. for research. For research. When did you um, when did you first realize you were into science? Were you just a kid and you were like, this is my thing? Or were you was it later in life? That's a great question. I honestly don't remember a first event for that. I just always remember growing up around science and really liking science. But I think since my father was an engineer, my mother, you know, she pursued a graduate degree in engineering as well. Oh. I think STEM was always just in the ethos that I was in. Yeah. And I loved astronomy as a kid. I remember when I was in fourth grade, I said I wanted to be an astronomer. And then as I started taking biology, it's like, oh, this is even cooler. Oh, cool. <laughs> but I mean, for me, it really solidified in college. I had a- Never a fireman. <laughs> no, no, that never, never came out to me. I had a great, great professor in college. His name was Professor Bruce Grant, who actually I'm still very much in touch with, even though I graduated over 30 years ago. He literally wrote me today saying, good luck on the oh. shoulder. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. so sweet. He's phenomenal. But I took his Can class- Can we get him? <laughs> 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 You'd be great. <laughs> I, uh, I took his class and I, I just was- captivated. I used to sit in the front row and just listening and I, I would record it with my little tape recorder. And then when I go out to work out in the gym, I just wanted to listen to it again because it was just fascinating. Well, yeah, this is too, revolutionary bro. genetics. Pardon me? You work out too? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, let me get this straight. <laughs> you would go to class, record it, and then listen to it again when you were working out? <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Nerd. Nerd. Then <laughs> finished high school. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. Hey, he did. I did. <laughs> did finish high school. Did he know he recorded it? Oh, yeah. Some sort oh, of. Oh, we're allowed to. That's oh, you're allowed to. Okay. So, yeah. so where was your first panel then that uh, got you? Might have got you noticed. Is that Dragon, Dragon Con? Dragon Con. Yeah, then, 2016. And then how did it tumble from that? What was? Yeah, so 2016, I gave that panel at Dragon Con. Right around the same time, it was really funny. I was approached by Princeton University Press, a writer there, or sorry, a, a publisher there, saying we would like you to give a public talk and write a book associated with this public talk. And what I said is, wow. well, the public talk I give the most often, which was true up until that point, was this general why evolution is true. Because, it's, you know, especially where we live in the South, you know, there, there's a lot of skepticism for evolution. Right. Um, <laughs> the problem is there's a book that's really well done. It was written by my PhD advisor called Why Evolution is True. I was like, I, I can't top that book. I mean, it's it's really good. It's the state of the art. And, it's, and it was fairly current. She said, well, are there any other public talks you've given recently? <laughs> Hence the connection to DragonCon. I said, well... There is one. It's a little out there. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> is that what this, yes, that's this, it. It resolved in this Live Long it. and Evolve? Exactly. So that was Live Long and Evolve, what Star Trek can teach us about evolution, genetics, and life on other worlds. Okay. So I did I did finish the book and I gave a, uh, gave a talk at Princeton University about it. It was fascinating Sound giving man. a talk at Princeton wow. about it because there were these super experts in evolution. Peter and Rosemary Grant were famous for doing these Darwin's Finch studies. And there were people out there who believe... Oh. 
the the, 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 the the beak of the finch. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Extraordinary book. Yeah, right. And in the same audience, there were people who believed aliens are real and, and are there around us. <laughs> things like that was a very diverse audience yeah. in terms of. You had some balance. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But that was great. And it was it was a great opportunity. The, the book, oops. We want everyone to see it. <laughs> oh, okay, thank you. Uh, Mark Cartier, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Cartier. The, the book, best side of him. Yeah. The book was really fun because essentially what it is, is the introductory. So at Duke, we have an introductory biology sequence. There's a molecular biology seminar, or a uh, Sorry, a molecular biology class and a class called genetics and evolution. This basically is all the content of the class on genetics and evolution, just slightly simpler in presentation and all framed using examples from Star Trek, including a lot from Enterprise. Wow. Okay. Well, how was that received? How's, how has it been received? I mean, it's it's sold copies. I think fans like it a lot. Um, I don't I don't know that it's gotten, you know, it's never been a bestseller. I don't know there ever will be a bestseller or anything like that. But, you know, I... I Get residual checks, so. Have the um, students? Uh, oh, yeah. Responded. So I have used it in the classroom. So I teach a non-majors class, literally that would show up on your transcript as genetics, evolution, Star Trek. <laughs> we use How this. Cool. this. You use it as a template. Don't we you? do. We use yeah, it as a textbook. Yeah. And we'll, we'll actually watch like a piece of one of your episodes or, or somebody else's episode and then discuss the science is depicted there. And what's great is it doesn't matter if the science is right or wrong, because what we do is we discuss what is right about it, what you know may not be exactly accurate and what would make it better. And they love it. Even people who've never seen any Star Trek before would say, hey, I love just having a narrative instead of just memorizing the Krebs cycle right. or whatever. They they right. have something that they can tie to. Like, oh, I remember when, you know, Trip was cloned to Sim and that that's similar to X, Y, or Z. So right. it, what other episodes were in our show would, 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 would uh, well, fit I can, into that? I can, I can tell you which ones are actually. I made, Did you bring the augments in and uh, with, uh, with Brent? A little bit. They're referenced, but I didn't have right. a lot about it in there. But actually, I specifically asked to have an episode index because I figured every oh, fan uh -huh. is going to say like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, actually, there's yeah, I could read the list here, but there's, oh, no. there's probably <laughs> it's probably about uh, 25 episodes oh, there. So. All from uh, all from Enterprise. From Enterprise? No, yeah. Shit. yeah, yeah, take a look. <laughs> Dom, they're they're mostly my episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, what's, what's interesting is um, I just blew shit up. <laughs> <laughs> what's interesting about Enterprise in particular is uh -huh. Star Trek always reflects the knowledge of science at the time. So if you go right. back to original series of Star Trek, they don't. There's almost no reference to DNA or genetic or anything like that. If you go to Next Generation, there's a little bit more. So you go to uh, Voyager, there's a there's a significant step up. But if you think of the time of Voyager, that's when the Human Genome Project was in full swing, mm -hmm. right? You all came and had your series right after the Human Genome Project had been published. So like, there was a lot there. Actually, the word genomics is in something like 10% of the episodes of Enterprise. No kidding. Really? Or genome, genome or genomics. Right. So, wow. Yeah. So it always reflects the science of the time. And so that's why there was so much from Enterprise, even though it was a shorter series, that there was a there was a ton of content to draw from there, which right. is great. Wow. And yeah. so so then you started doing you doing panels at conventions, yeah. and then at some point someone calls you Dr. Aaron McDonald, perhaps. So interestingly, Dr. Aaron McDonald and I were giving panels together before either of us had anything to do with the the actual series. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Yeah, we were just giving, uh, we were, because she was also going to Dragon Con regularly and she was also giving right. talks. So we would sometimes pair up even on a talk. Uh, this actually started with a talk about science and Star Trek Discovery. And we were just talking about the science in the first two series. And there were three people in the back of the room, uh, Ken Mitchell, <laughs> Mary Chifo, and Jane Brooke. And they actually asked a question and, and you know, I forget, Ken asked a funny question about like, why does he sweat so much in his suit or something like that? But afterwards, uh, from the introduction, Jane said, oh, you went to Duke. I went to Duke, or you work at Duke. I went to Duke. Oh. So she came up to me and said, hey, you know, I went to I went to Duke University. We got to be friends. We chatted a lot. So I asked her, is there any possibility of getting to help out with some of the science in the series? 
So she very graciously connected me with Erica Lippold, who connected me with Michelle Paradise, who's the showrunner for Star Trek Discovery. This was Discovery, right? Yeah. And she was an actress, Jane. On, Jane, on, yes, exactly. Yeah, yes. She played uh, Admiral Cornwell in the first two seasons. Right. Dr. Aaron McDonald, at the same time, she actually had been connecting with um, uh, Boyan Kim, who's also one of the writers there. And I think that was who brought her into the series as well. So we actually mm -hmm. came through different routes. But then it was great. The first call I had with Michelle Paradise, she said, well, we want to pair you with a physicist to work on this thing about the science of the burn, which is a plot in, in season three of Discovery. And I said, oh, who's the physicist? She said, well, her name is Dr. Erin McDonald. And I just laughed because we- I been... know her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we know her. I know her very well. I have her cell phone number here. We talk all the time. Oh, wow. So that was wonderful getting to work. Do you do anything with, you know, Ken has ALS? Yeah. And is, is that part of the work that you do with genetics? No, no, it's not. I don't do anything with humans. Everything I do is with the fruit flies, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I understand yeah. that. But like, you yeah. know, are, with the work with the fruit flies, what is the goal to the mutations and yeah and all that um, no there are connections from a lot of basic research to you know applications like als but for the work i do is it's very loosely connected to mm -hmm. it. It, it wouldn't go to anything with regard to als for, for me personally mm -hmm. no now, I should note, too, we were talking about Dr. Erin McDonald. I should note, so she initially was just a contracted person like me for season three of Discovery, but she is now on staff as the science advisor for the whole Star Trek franchise. So she's actually like essentially employed by them in that right. in that sort of sense. So I, I like to say she's the sheriff of science in Star Trek, and I'm somebody who's occasionally deputized. <laughs> Before you guys, were they using any scientists in, in the legacy shows? Or oh, the, certainly. They certainly. were. Yeah, certainly. Okay. Uh, so Andre Bormanis was the science advisor through all of Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and then I think he was on writing Staff Enterprise. Oh, exactly. That. That's yeah. how he became a writer. Andre? I think he worked yeah. for NASA before. It's possible. Uh, he was a good yeah. writer. We shouldn't we put that in the notes. We've been yeah. we need to try and get Andre on. He's great. Long, he actually time. spoke to my class too oh, <laughs> about, oh. about consulting on on Star Trek. I'm sorry. He's a lovely man too. Yeah. He's very, and uh, I did not know that. So he he was a scientist initially and then became a, mm -hmm. a writer. Would you? Because ever... then he went on to work with. I was just thinking, Brandon. That show he did. Brandon or, did uh, the Orville. The Orville. Yeah. The, the, no, the reboot of uh, Carl Sagan's oh, show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Andre right. was heavily involved in that. Yeah. Yeah. Also Orville, too. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Would you ever jump ship from uh, education to doing something I love like that? I love teaching. Yeah. I love doing the research. And and honestly, I, I'm always scared because, you know, Star Trek went away for a long time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> talking about that was, that was yeah. a scary moment in time. When yeah. That no brings Star us Trek. swiftly to we're on strike at the yeah. moment. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sag after strong. Yeah. Oh, bless. It's going to be a tough uh, period of time here. But um, uh, we've looked into all this and we've taken a lot of advice from SAG and apparently we're, we're in the clear at the moment. So, yeah. And, uh, I'm not a SAG member. We're, we're not scabbing. <laughs> we're not crossing We're not scabbing, scabbing yet. And, yeah. nor, nor would we. Nor yeah. would we. No, definitely. Um, so I know that you wrote a paper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rapid genetic and developmental uh, morphological change uh, following extreme celerity. <laughs> <laughs> now, I read this paper He's twice. Clearly been Doctor. practicing that all morning. Uh, I have one question for you. How do you like your celerity cooked? <laughs> I love it. Pot of oil. Yeah. Um, so I should tell give me a story on this. Yeah. <laughs> so to be to be clear, I'm not an author on this paper formally. <laughs> so um, let me give a little bit of context. So typically speaking, for the science I do on say fruit flies, I, I will conduct the experiments. I'll write up the paper. I'll write up a paper describing the results. We'll submit it to a reputable scientific journal, mm. <laughs> and it'll come out. And that's how the scientific community gets to see it. And before it gets comes out, there's a review process where it's very carefully looked over by some other people and they say, well, you didn't test this. I'm skeptical of this conclusion, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, starting about 
20 years or so ago, a series of things that are referred to as predatory scientific journals came on the scene. And essentially what they do is you send them anything, you pay a little bit of money and they just put it's it out there. It's fantasy publishing. Really, yeah, it's basically it? fantasy yeah, publishing. Yeah. yeah. And they just they just put it online and and you just it's pay to play. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. So somebody I might have some papers to publish. Yeah. That's the science of my awesomeness. There you go. So uh, somebody, I don't know who, <laughs> wrote a paper that essentially recounts all the scenes in the in the infamous Star Trek Voyager episode Threshold, oh, but all using excellent. science speak. <laughs> and the authors of the paper, if you read the paper, the authors of the paper are Thomas Paris, Harry right. Kim, That's the, you know, I, I, I've read Torres. a lot of your work, and this sounds, this looks like <laughs> bogus, like your work. Yeah. <laughs> this looks, <laughs> like looks work. a lot like your that's, work. That's Doctor Muhammad's uh-huh. work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll but talk that's later. That's some troll play right there. But anyway, if anybody wants to read about, like, so if you now, just why Google. did you choose Threshold as that as the episode to sort of you know write this oh, bogus paper on? It's so infamous. It's so. I mean, it is, it's, right? it's 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 uh, some people have described it as a Brandon Bragg a fever dream. You know. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> nothing against him, but <laughs> oh my god! I, 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 gotta get, I gotta get that T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in a Brandon Braga fever dream. <laughs> Sorry, but, I mean, the acting, the acting is great, things like that. But just what happens is just so completely absurd, especially in the latter half of the episode. Well, uh, yeah. Do you know? I mean, I didn't know much about this episode, but so Tom, uh, Robbie Duncan McNeil, is in the shuttle pod <laughs> and he's trying to crank it to warp ten. And somewhere in the warp, going to warp 10, he becomes a slug. Salamander. A, a salamander. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> to, to use tomato, the tomato. To use the, <laughs> to use the, the technical term. Uh-huh. And, and then he, he gets, does he go back to the ship and he gets Janeway to become a salamander too? Yeah, well, before he changes all the way, he takes Janeway with him and then they complete he, the process of becoming salamanders. He, he, and then they have three salamander babies. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a brand new oh, oh, dream. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So this is what this paper is. Exactly. I, I, I refer you again to your celerity, sir. <laughs> well, what's great about this paper, too, is that so this came out in 2018. It actually got a little bit of buzz. Uh, if you, so if you just Google fake Voyager paper, you see all sorts of like funny press releases about it. But in the, in the series Lower Decks, there's a there's an episode called uh, We'll Always Have Tom Paris. Oh, yes. Yeah, you yeah. know where I'm going. Yeah, so going. There's, a, there's a comment said where um, Boimler is saying, oh, Tom Paris is coming to the ship. And, and, and Mariner says, is he still a salamander? Yes. And she says, no, that was a celerity-induced increase in morphological... <laughs> <laughs> That's basically the title of the paper. <laughs> so, Nailed which, it. Oh, my God. So it, it went from, like, TV uh, to fake science back to TV. Brilliant. Well, what was your response to this paper? Well, it was interesting. So whoever submitted it, I didn't say it was me because <laughs> that would be scientific misconduct. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Whoever Muhammad. submitted it. You heard it first here, people. Sent it to this particular journal and I actually did get feedback, but it was all just about typos and things like that. Not about wow. the fact that these people are changed into salamanders and grow extra hearts and have kids and yeah, and all oh the rest God. of it was not there. It, they clearly just didn't get past the jargon because I've made it a little heavily jargon filled, but it's it's accurate. It's true to the show. If you follow the results section, it's it's basically scene by scene what happens in the episode. Wow. <laughs> there is. But in um, science speak. <laughs> I actually am really very interested in reading this now. <laughs> right. You're welcome to that copy. <laughs> if, 
eventually the journal took it offline because it, it got enough publicity. Mm. They're like, oh yeah, no, we don't. <laughs> really? Is that fake. journal still around? Fake. Oh, the journal's still around. Oh shit. It actually came out in another journal, which I think might still have it online too. So if you just Google the title, you might still be able to find Unbelievable. it. Unbelievable. <laughs> it probably got a good click up, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah no kidding. Actually, the paper's been cited a few times, but in the context of understanding uh, these predatory scientific journals, not because of the results specifically. Has anyone of this team written any more of these kinds of There might be uh, another one about the spore drive in Star Trek Discovery if oh, you dig around. Uh -huh. <laughs> there might be. There, there might be. be. There might be. I've heard rumors. Oh, Are you coming to Vegas? This, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 No kidding. No, I'm giving uh, two talks in Vegas. Uh, one I don't actually, it's one's a panel with somebody else, which I don't know all the details on. But one I know I'm doing is uh, biology and science consulting in Star Trek Discovery, where I go over all four seasons. So I, I had nothing to do with the first two seasons, but no, I'll still right. talk about some of the science in there and how is it reflected in general and in, in real life and, and how, how accurate is the show. And then the last two seasons are pieces that I did work a little bit on. So together now, with Dr. Because I, I don't know Discovery mm -hmm. particularly, but you were particularly involved in uh, the Tardigrade sort of. No, that was that was earlier. Oh, was that earlier? The, the Tardigrade story is actually very interesting, though. So I'm glad you brought that right. up. So um, one of the things in there that they have is the space Tardigrade. And Tardigrades are kind of famous that they can survive the vacuum of space. That's right. That's been a little bit overstated in general, though. People make it sound like you could know, just have Tardigrades floating around in space. There was a study done. Well, no, I mean, okay, okay. I mean, to the layman, what is a tardigrade? Is it a oh, microscopic? It is. Oh, good yeah. call. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it is microscopic. It's called a water bear. They're, they're just they're they're small things. They have six legs. They're very stumpy. Right. They swim around in 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 sort of a in like little droplets of water on mosses outside. Okay. <laughs> they're very cute if you just Google them. And are they found in in? We haven't found them in outer space, have we? Well, they've been taken to outer space to like European uh, to by the European Space Agency to the space station to study because they can dry up and then and then sit in stasis. Uh, exactly. Right, right. So there was a study done. This is what people cite in saying they can live in outer space. There was a study done where they took some out there and they actually exposed it to the vacuum and radiation of space. And it's true that not all of them died, but they had multiple species. For one species, there were three individuals that survived out of like a hundred that were studied for just a couple of hours. Wow. <laughs> so it's not like they just are okay in space, but right. so it's a little bit overstated. Didn't we just crash a bunch of them? That's what's come up moon? before. Good yeah. knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So a bunch crashed on the moon and everybody said, I wonder if they're still alive. Like, yeah, they're not alive. They're, oh, they're not alive. No, I'm sure they're dead. They're <laughs> I'm very confident those are dead. They're not uh, planning their... Yeah. The next time we go the to next the next tardigrade takeover, yeah. yeah. The place will be the crawling with tardigrades. Right. <laughs> there's, there's another great thing about tardigrades, too, that is... Mind the tardigrades yeah. Yeah, when you go to the moon. Much it's, like taking the weasel to New Zealand or whatever it was. What was that? We oh, the bunny about? to Australia? Yeah. So also in season one, though, they mentioned there was a passing comment about like its microscopic cousins on Earth, a tardigrade uh, acquires a lot of its genome by horizontal gene transfer. That's something that Michael Burnham said. Yeah. So horizontal gene transfer is literally just like a, a gene coming out of one individual and going into another individual and not their descendant. So if I was to give you one of my genes, that would be a horizontal gene transfer. Bacteria do this all the time. They trade genes. It's, it's much less common for big things. But what was fascinating about that is uh, the first genome of the tardigrade was published in 2015. And they said that they thought that a lot of his genome had been acquired by horizontal gene transfer. And that was just two years before, before Discovery came out. So I'm assuming they pulled that from the press release. Mm. So kudos to them. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, as with much science. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, was, it it was, was not two years later. It was, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a, an incorrect interpretation. It was they not jumped that. jumped the shark a they, bit. Yeah. Mm. They jumped uh, to conclusions a little bit. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like to pet them. <laughs> but I didn't have anything to do with the tardigrade part of the discovery. If you can even get to it to pet you, it. You, you really wanted to pet it. Like, they were yeah, nuts. they said, who wants to touch a shark? And I was oh. like, I want to. <laughs> 
I would too. Hey, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. And it was actually smooth and not uh, yeah. scaly and rough. It oh, was yeah. The smooth kind. You know which kind it is? Was it, was it like a hammerhead or something? It was a no, snake shark. I, I don't know what kind. It wasn't one of those sleek sharks, oh. but it had like a larger head and a smaller thin body. Okay. They weren't going to need a bigger boat. No, okay. They were not. <laughs> but they put it back into, yeah. into the ocean. No, but, um, but I came in in season Wait, three. did they drag it out of the ocean? No, they were fishing. Oh, they're fishing. Yeah. So they technically they did drag it out oh, yeah. of the ocean. Yeah, okay. uh, At night, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and then, so what about species ten? And uh, uh, ten C. And, that, and uh, this is this is like an augment species that you yeah. dreamt up. <laughs> well, so species ten C. This was a, a big part of season four for Star Trek Discovery. So that that was that was a great part that I got to have a little part in. Um, Essentially, what they said is they wanted to have a truly alien alien from day one. So this is what the, the right. writers put out there. Yeah. They said, we don't want to be a, you know, no. a humanoid with a prosthetic. <laughs> but I said that actually in one panel, and John Billingsley was in the back, and he said, there's nothing wrong with humanoids <laughs> with prosthetics. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I love the humanoids with prosthetics. <laughs> but anyway, they wanted truly alien aliens, and they wanted to have a process for understanding uh, how, these, uh, how these communicate. They didn't want just to be something where they pull out the universal translator, and now they're speaking to it. So they brought me in on this and they said, can, can you work with us on this? So I went back and forth and we actually landed in the end on chemical communication rather than, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. interesting. Yeah, which is common in the animal kingdom. It's just we don't do that so much ourselves. So for us, it's a little bit unfamiliar, but it's there's tons of precedent for it. I mean, ants use it all the time. Dogs use it all the time. There's a lot of chemical communication right. out there. So then it, was, it wasn't just the word, but we then had to work out with VFX, what would this look like? So I suggested using uh, what are called hydrocarbons. So these are basically just molecules that have both carbon and hydrogen as you would infer from the name hydrocarbon. <laughs> but what's what's great about carbon is from its position on the periodic table, it can bind to up to four other elements, whereas most elements can't do that many. So you can actually come up with very complicated structures for it. So if you want to have very complicated, say, word characters, you could do that with hydrocarbons. And that, and they're used by insects in, in communication. All right. So interesting way to use your profession. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, and, and also marry it to entertainment. Yeah. And what, you know, the environment that you find yourself in. What, I mean, it must be super exciting. Oh, I can't even begin to describe how exciting it is and just and what an honor and a privilege to get to contribute a little bit to this and what i love is that the writers and show and showrunners and vfx people they're so excited about science they want this to be good because they know and as i'm sure you all know how many scientists and, and engineers are inspired by these oh. shows right well, that's I mean, a question i haven't asked you what, what was star trek part of your journey into science or were you Probably already there, or I, I would say that they were self, they were re, uh, re, mutually reinforcing. Mutually reinforcing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that by virtue of being uh, liking uh, science, I appreciate Star Trek. By virtue of liking Star Trek and and liking other people who liked Star Trek, that reinforced yeah. my love of science. That undergrad professor I mentioned before, who wrote me this morning, he was a big Star Trek fan. So he's yeah. he's all. We'd always talk about Star Trek when I was a student with him. And it's a recurring theme for us when we go Absolutely. to the con yeah. and uh, the people that come up to our table. And, yeah. But all, yeah. I mentioned all, the, all of those, they're so excited about it. What, the, the funniest thing is I remember one of them said, your job is so cool. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You write Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> your job is much so cooler cool. than that. Right. <laughs> But Did no, you ever um, sure. get invited to a writer's room or? I've, I've been on some Zoom writer's room. I've oh. never gone physically in person oh, cool. to do that. But yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so I've worked mostly with Discovery with seasons three and four. And I have things that haven't come out yet with Strange New Worlds and Prodigy. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Have you ever thought of putting pen to paper and writing an episode? I, I don't feel like that's within my skill set. I'm good at, at working with somebody else's idea mm -hmm. and, and editing that sort of thing. But, I, you know, coming up with some truly creative thing, I feel like they're much better at it than I would be. Have you... Uh, is there a difference in terms of uh, what science um, 
what the show got right regarding science and like the legacy track versus the newer stuff? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, did they get? Did they, yeah, did they improve? As it were. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to pat myself on the back and say like, well, yeah, I made it Go a lot ahead. better. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we do it a lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I would say that all all of Star Trek tries. Even if you go back to the original series, when I don't know that they had maybe maybe they had somebody doing a little bit of science advising, right. but I mean, you could tell that for everything, even the original series, you could tell at least sometimes they must have consulted somebody mm. because some of the the things that they say like that's unusually specific and exactly right. Mm. So really? yeah. Yeah. Every now and then it's not, but well, sure. <laughs> and, and what will always happen is story will always trump science, right? That, that will always be the case that if, if person X has to go from place A to place B and it has to be in a means that would never work because they would die anyway, it's going to happen anyway. Well, it's also <laughs> one of the great conversations you can then have about an episode. It's like, you know, bingo. That's my exactly. brother and his friends would walk around the perimeter of the playground uh, yeah. in elementary school and talk about the previous day's episode yes. on, you know, a rerun like we all watched. And um, I, I'm sure would have these stirring arguments about you know <laughs> what what could have had been and what would never be oh yeah mm -hmm. that's actually the most intimidating thing about consulting is because i'm, I'm terrified that i would get something wrong <laughs> because I'm sure. oh and then everyone so... will call you up for the oh rest my gosh of your life. Out, like oh that phd guy he's such a fake yeah. Yeah. dr <laughs> nor is full of crap yeah, exactly. season 18 I episode to the five <laughs> So in that regard, what I do is when I'm doing some of the research for the writers, I will actually I will actually cite the literature citations from the primary scientific papers just to back it up. So both to keep myself honest, but also to give them something that if somebody says, you know, well, actually, you know, I was like, well, I'll actually back. Look at the 2022 paper by so-and-so. Right. Do you still <laughs> teach the same course that um... I'm planning to teach at the spring? Awesome. I love it. It's so much fun. <laughs> and you, it's full of students who are. It's a small class, but it's always full. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're at Duke, honey. I am yeah. Duke University. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder, cool. also being at Duke in that part of the country mm -hmm. and, um, you know, creation versus evolution yeah. versus agnostic. What is that? Durham, North Carolina, right? Yeah. 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 Very yeah. good. Very good. How, how does that all... Sort of, at Duke, I've never had any pushback yeah. on campus because, I mean, the people who are there are, are you know, they're so well steeped in in their education and things right. like that. So I haven't had any pushback. There. So prior to being at Duke, I hey, taught. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> prior to being at Duke. <laughs> prior to coming to Duke, though, I taught at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. Further down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Much bigger school, too, and things like that. So there, I remember there was a class I taught that was a non-majors class. And there would occasionally be some people there who, who were un comfortable i'll say that really? say the least. but i would have a i would always have a conversation with them mm -hmm. and say look i'm not i'm not saying anything about the existence of god or anything like that i'm just telling you about this is how processes of evolution happen on earth that's i'm just talking about it. and and things like natural selection although people will say something like oh that's just a theory it's it's mathematically inevitable. The beak so, of the finch. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean that's a great demonstration, but yeah. if you think about it, even from the genic level, and we actually understand this, or just the public understands this so much better now in the case of COVID, when you see, if you have three conditions met, you will always have natural selection. If you have variation, uh, if that variation is heritable, and if it affects survival or reproduction. Right. This is exactly what we've seen with the COVID variants, as an example. Mm. Like where there was, you know, Delta and then Omicron came around. So there's your variation. It's heritable because Omicron begets Omicron, Delta begets uh, Delta. Mm. Omicron reproduced faster. What happened? We had natural selection and boom, Omicron blew up. Right. right? That's just natural selection. It's not, a, it's not a theory in the sense that people are skeptical about it. Luckily, it's the symptoms of Omicron, did they deplete. Is that is that right. a natural order of things when you extend the life of something like that, that it becomes less threatening. 
Does it, I mean, does that, it? That does happen. That does, does it know that to become less threatening because yeah. it's for its own survival that you don't kill all the hosts? It's true that if it immediately kills something, then that would be very hard to pass on. Yeah. That's true. But for example, the difference between Delta and Omicron, my guess is that's probably just luck. It was just luck. That's my guess. Yeah. Just, we yeah. got lucky this time. Yeah. Uh, is there, um, can you be uh, a creationist and work in your field? I totally think so. And in fact, there are some. I yeah. mean, if you, uh, uh, Francis Collins, who was the former director of the National Institutes of Health, was both a creationist and he very much accepted the truth of evolution. Wow. Yeah. How does that, how does, yeah, they're not mutually, mutually exclusive, I don't think, yeah. I don't know how they're mutual. Well, a yeah. little bit. Oh, I mean, you know, sure, okay. In, what are you saying, yeah. There's a given circumstance here yeah. that you have to accept or not. I mean, evolution yeah. is a very real thing that we can witness day yep. to day. Like, yep. things are changing in front of our eyes. Exactly. Clearly, it's happening. It doesn't exactly. necessarily negate the, uh, the potential the, that we were all created. Yeah, the piece that people have the hardest time with is this idea of common ancestry. That all life, and this is one of the one of the most fascinating things about evolution, is that all life on Earth is related and actually related. Like we are actually related to blades of grass. And they, like if you go they, far enough back, back down yeah, to you know, like there, there's a there's a, uh, a a tribe or a woman in Africa that apparently we all come from. Oh, uh, Susie or uh, are you about Lucy? Lucy, that's ah, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I yeah. mean, the, within humans, I, I don't Lucy. think there's much controversy on that, even in the general public. I think people will largely accept that. It's this this truth that there's common ancestry universally with mm -hmm. all life. That's what some people then get very uncomfortable with. Like, what do you mean? I'm not related to dogs. You know, I'm not related to grass. Oh, I would you know? love to be related we're all, we're, to dogs. We all come from stardust. Yeah. At the end the of the day, it's the we same do. atomic energy, yeah. as it were, that created... We were watching, uh, there's a show that's just started on Netflix last night. Um, what's it called? It's about the Homo Nadali. Yeah, it's about the Homo Nadali, yeah, which is a, a offshoot of, you know, before mm -hmm. just before Sapiens mm -hmm. that were clearly, yeah. you know, advanced. They may not have had language, but they were certainly performing burial rituals. Yeah. Uh, and our cousins Neanderthal. I mean, which, yeah. which apparently we interbred with it within the past couple of hundred thousand so. years. Isn't so that amazing. Yeah. yeah, we all have a little bit of Neanderthal That's ancestry. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, and we're not used to seeing multiple hominids in in, uh, <laughs> in one place. Right. But <laughs> I mean, so there's actually an enterprise, an enterprise episode where that was the case. Which one was that then? Oh, I don't oh, remember the name. Shame of it. me, don't you? It was one. It was one where there was one species that that was very sick and there was another that was that seemed more primitive but it actually was not getting sick and there was this ethical yeah, conundrum that so. archer had to decide whether to help Save, the, the sick yes. ones or not and and flocks oh. was saying like no you should give them the opportunity you should not save them so you give the other one the opportunity to maybe expand right. and he made a great point saying like what if somebody had come and give them the neanderthals an evolutionary advantage then mm. they, then we wouldn't have existed mm. <laughs> right so yeah it's a fascinating topic Mm. Wow. Yeah, all Star Trek is great with these ethical conundrums connected to science. I love that. Do you think there's anything like Star Trek in science fiction that, that that attempts that? For the ethical conundrum specifically? Yeah, or even addressing um, the science element of it. Well, certainly there's a, there's a lot of science, especially when you look at physics, which is not my field. There's a lot of there's a lot of TV shows out there or movies that are very, very good. And they clearly employ a lot of science advisors to get that right. It's less common for the biology side. I mean, unless it's actually like a medical show or things mm -hmm. like that. Those, are, of course, will hire a medical consultant too. I, I can't think of one that I've seen that's as good at Star Trek in terms of the biology in general. Uh, Thank God. What other but shows? I don't watch that many, so. Right. <laughs> well, what shows uh, employ the physicists? so much i'm trying to think what yeah the expanse definitely okay they, they get it very well right. and of course the famous movie the martian that was very good in, in oh, terms of yeah, looking yeah. at the physics there a little bit of biology much. too yeah yeah 
I did enjoy that film. Uh, yeah. I was say. Potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> Grown in poop. <laughs> poop and Martian dust. <laughs> That's one of your favorite movies. What? The Martian? Martian? Yeah. 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 I, I, I watch it to go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> really? Speaking of which, it's amazing. <laughs> it's just, it's so comforting, you know? The guy that wrote that book, and I forget his name, that... He sort of self-published that, didn't he? Oh, is that right? I didn't, I know, I didn't so. know the history. I don't think wow. I forget his name. Oh, I believe that's true. Wow. Yeah. And it just was a runaway hit. Yeah. Are your kids following in your footsteps? So my daughter is just finishing law school. Okay. So a little bit different in that <laughs> sense. Different. So she's, a, she's in Berkeley now. Well, she can represent year. that paper. So. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> represent me with finds out. <laughs> Whoever wrote it. Whoever wrote it. Exactly. Well done. Uh, my son actually is a, he's a major in computer science oh, at, at North Carolina State. Oh, that's cool. Adam, so, right? That's Adam. Who yeah. we met as a young kid. That's in right. 2016. 2016. The yeah. 50th anniversary. Yeah. yeah. Is he coming yeah. to uh, this, this Vegas? He's not coming to Vegas this oh. time. Yeah. So, uh, Muhammad, what are you working on now? Uh, Research-wise? Yeah. yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay, I couldn't tell you about the other one, <laughs> about the Star Trek stuff. Um, <laughs> Research-wise, let me tell you an interesting story. Most people, and actually most of any kind of animal out there, most people have at least one gene variant that causes death before adulthood. Like probably most of us here in this room have a gene variant that causes death before well, adulthood. We made it. Yeah, we made it. Oh, so, so we yeah. beat it. We're all winners. Well, so the key is that we have one, but we have two copies of all our genes, right? We have one that we got from our mom, one that we got from our dad for just about every gene. But what's interesting is like, why are there so many of these broken death variants out there? Right. So this is actually what I'm studying. Broken using. death variant meaning? Well, broken in the sense I that, love that there's a gene, that, <laughs> a gene that's been broken through some sort of mutation uh, that if you were to have two copies of it, you would not survive to adulthood. A break. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what I'm trying to understand is why those are so abundant. But we're not doing it with humans because, again, the controlled mating things don't go over well when we try doing that. So we're doing this with fruit flies. So flies I, in the bathroom? Fly, yep, some of the flies from the bathroom. Yeah. Not those. I told you. I Fruit flies, thankfully. There was not one hiding flies. in there. I said, what are you doing? He's like, I'm hiding from Dr. Noomar. <laughs> I don't blame and you. And you were like, <laughs> But I, I caught like hundreds of flies from my backyard. And we've brought them into the lab. And we've identified about half of them have one of these variants on a particular chromosome we're studying. We're trying to see what are these death variants, right? And why are they so abundant? So there's two possible explanations for why they're so abundant. One is just that they have so many genes. They have you know almost as many genes as we do. They have just so many genes and that a lot of them are essential that if they happen to break, that, that, that will kill them. And maybe there's just that many fragile genes and that many mutations. That's one explanation. The other explanation is that maybe sometimes there's actually an advantage to having one broken copy. And there's a well-known example of this in humans. Hmm which is sickle cell anemia, mm -hmm. oh, right. right? So if you have two so, of the broken variants, you have sickle cell anemia, which is obviously very bad. If you have one broken variant, you actually don't have the disease, but you have a weird advantage that you're actually resistant to malaria. So if you, huh. I know, right? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> totally <Bugs>. makes sense. <laughs> this is for humans, not yeah, for yeah. flies, yeah. So in countries where malaria is very abundant, you tend to see high incidence of sickle cell because of that. Right? Because there's an advantage to having this copy. So well, that's, well, that, well. Now that's one example, but we don't know of that many examples like that. So I thought, well, let's take the flies, let's study hundreds of these and see if there's a lot like that or if that's more the exception than the rule. And there's a couple of applications for this. You know, so the general explanation is this is probably part of what explains why inbreeding is bad, not <laughs> in a social sense, but in terms of if, you know, if I was to have kids with my sister, I don't have a sister, but if I was to have kids with my sister, we probably have the same broken gene variants. We put them together in the kid and boom, the kid's dead. Hence oh. Europe's monarchy. And Hence Europe's monarchy or anything ah, from Game of Hatchburg. Thrones. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. The more direct. <laughs> 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 She, and it, she only passed away a few 
Not the queen. She's clearly okay. Or was okay. Um, she was quite old. <laughs> she was quite old. The other thing is, uh, is that sometimes you actually identify gene variants that, that are very important that you don't know about. So one of the ones that's come up already that we've been studying, we look to see what's the human homolog. Homolog means like the same kind of gene in this, in us. And, um, the one that we found was actually the, the most common cause for childhood uh, kidney cancer in humans. Well, I was it's one of the ones you, that came up in the flies. How? Like, oh, no kidding. So it's, are cancers what you would call this, this you know, uh, death gene? Is that something? It could be. It could yeah. be. Yeah. So cancer is just an uncontrolled cellular division. Like it just keeps yeah. dividing and dividing. And it could be that if one of these particular genes regulates how often your cell is supposed to divide, it's supposed to make it stop and then you break it. Then you get this All uncontrolled right. cell growth. So that is one possible outcome. Right. Yeah. Wow. How long does, uh, I mean, maybe they're different lengths. How long does a study take to, oh, to produce and years. a paper? That's a great question. So I started, well, actually, I had the idea for the study in 2017. It actually came from a great conversation with a fantastic student. Where This is something that people have been studying a lot from like the 1930s to the 1970s or 80s. And then they just kind of stopped. And part of the issue was they didn't really have a way of answering it because it's not, you know, if you go back to the 1960s, people hadn't even sequenced DNA yet. So mm -hmm. understanding what are these breaks, and it was just all hypothetical. Right. But they kind of just dropped this. Yeah. So in talking with my student about some of this historical work, I said, hey, you know, we could actually just do this now. We could actually solve this because now you can get, you know, a genome for $1,000 or for a human genome or even much less for a fly genome because they have smaller genomes than we do. Right. So I said, well, let's just do this. So this was 2017. It was conceived. We started the project in 2018. We got funding for it in 2020 because often getting money from the National Science Foundation, National Institutes of Health takes a few tries. But they, they were very generous. They gave us about a million dollars to do this. So we've been working on it now. It's probably going to take a couple more years still. So, I mean, the overall study, we're probably looking at maybe six, six or seven years. How many studies have you done in your career? I mean, not all of them are that comprehensive. This is this is one of the largest I've ever done. I mean, in terms of publications, not including this kind. That's you. <laughs> That's not me. Not including that kind. <laughs> I mean, I published a little bit over 100 research papers. But I mean, I say that like I wrote them. But I mean, a lot of these are right. collaborative with other research teams or collaborative with my students or trainees or, you know, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I mean, typical projects last multiple years. It's very rare that a project is just a few months, unless you're just having a very small piece to somebody else's project. And then the peer review is lengthy and... It's not too bad. Well, it, it varies by discipline. So I've right. heard in economics, it sometimes takes like two years. <laughs> Have you got to a white paper stage with what you're doing at the moment? Or So mine mine do, doesn't need that sort of thing. There are, there are studies that need the sort of white papers. Mine, right. we just send in the proposal directly to the funding agency and, and, assess and it comes back. Is... A white paper is more like a big community-wide project or multiple people working together on it. They just want to uh, put out an idea for could, we could do this sort of thing. And then after that, then you might uh, right. approach funding on it. Do you think that you're um, onto something? It's it's early. Well, it's, it's harsh to say it's early days when we're six years in. Well, <laughs> again, like we're talking so about like timelines that are different from yeah. different professions and studies. Yeah, it works. It's working really well. I mean, I feel like the process of identifying what the mutations are has been going much better than honestly I anticipated. So that's mm. been great. The part about trying to figure out what are the evolutionary causes, like is it the, one of the two hypotheses I mentioned, that might be more challenging. Yeah, we'll it's got to be hard. I mean, how, it's how a lot of statistics. That down? Yeah. yeah, a lot how, of statistics. How hard can it be? <laughs> Science. Uh, Science. It's, it's really fun. I mean, this is actually the thing. I, one of the things I love the most about my job. I mean, it's, uh, the problem is I say this about a lot of pieces of my job. But one of the things I love the most about my job is sitting with students and just brainstorming, saying, we have a problem. How can we do this? And we sit there and we sketch out these possible things. And honestly, it's actually not that different 
different from consulting that often there it's you're presented with a problem and you, you sit down with another different group of brilliant people and you sketch out how could this work and it's honestly the the, the type of thinking is fairly similar well it's part of what i love it's communal. about communal yeah it's communal exactly and that's what i love about teaching again like you sit there and we discuss things that are out there and sometimes students will tell me something that i never thought of that I need to go back and look that up. It seems like a basic question, but somehow it just had never crossed my mind. What level of student are you teaching? Are you teaching, you know, uh, people going for a, a, a BS or an MS or a PhD? All everything, everything. Yeah, it depends on the course. So th this fall, for example, I'm doing a class for first year PhD students. So that's obviously fairly advanced. The the class that's associated with the the book over here, oops, sorry, associated with the book over here is for first years just starting college. All right. So it's full spectrum. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, one thing we haven't really touched on is, uh, is your work with, uh, discovery and, uh, the uh, burn uh. and, uh, uh, lithium is a real thing, isn't it? I mean, in actual, it's, a, it's, a, it's, well, a, lithium is, is an, is an atom and dilithium would be like two, you would think it would be two atoms, uh, two lithium atoms together, but it wouldn't be this sort of crystal that has the properties that happens no. in Star Trek. So that bit they made up. Yeah, that bit they made they, up. Do they just like the name Dilithium? Right? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually a lot of that. Sounds good. Sounds Coming good. off the tongue. Yeah. They, often, they often pair these. Uh, Especially in a Scottish brogue. <laughs> they often pair the prefixes because you have Dilithium, they have Tritanium, they have Quadrotriticale. I always joke, and there's Zachary Quinto. <laughs> Sorry, it's bad joke. <laughs> bad joke. That's five. That's five, yeah. <laughs> but in terms, of the, in terms of the Dilithium and the burn, <laughs> This was one. This was the very first project that I had. And yeah. This was one that was paired with Dr. Aaron McDonald on, and this because it had a biological piece and a physical science piece. Mm. So what happened there? The the plot for all of season three of Star Trek Discovery. Sorry, this is a spoiler, <laughs> but uh, is that there was this alien? His name is Sukal. He's a Kelpian. That's right. a species, the same species as Saru, if you know him, played yep. by Doug Jones. Um, he is distraught about you know, this terrible event that happens, and he screams, and somehow that scream makes all the dilithium everywhere just about blow up right because he's on a dilithium planet and it amplifies his exactly rage, exactly his anger or and dilithium or... controls the matter antimatter reactions in all the ships so every ship that had a dilithium drive just blew up right then. <laughs> so oh. this was a big yeah, disastrous event yeah and it's yeah. such a good story arc i love that season of star trek yeah, yeah. i enjoyed it too though i'm biased yeah. <laughs> but they said basically they presented that to us and said okay science that <laughs> <laughs> which right. that was that's again jumping into the deep end like you said about dragon what did that mean <laughs> so, yeah, what, so, so what the is burn meant that ships couldn't travel at warp speed anymore and it yeah. was basically the end of the federation and in this season of discovery the federation is barely holding on earth isn't even a member of the federation anymore yeah uh, discovery no is a prequel to our show no no, well, it it's, it's, it starts. Our show. It starts before the original series, but then they jump in season three to the far future. To nine hundred years in the future. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. So it starts after Enterprise, before the original series, and then it. The last yeah. two seasons are nine hundred years in the future. I gotta be honest. Mm -hmm. I have not seen an episode of Discovery. It yet. is good. Oh, it's fun. I like it. Um, it's fun. Uh, I should get on that as soon as possible. Yeah, you can start with season three. Actually, it's a decent place to it start because good. essentially it's a it's restarting the All whole right. process because they've just jumped into the far future. Mm. So what we what we came up with, and you know we're you know we're working with uh, obviously fiction. So there, there's definitely some leaps here. <laughs> my my part of this was to say like, okay, Sukal needs to be very radiation resistant because he's a, as Mark said, mm -hmm. he's on this dilithium planet that has lots of radiation. And we see Saru go there, and when he goes there, he's immediately starts having these boils on his skin. So something has to be different about him to both be radiation resistant and also to cause this galactic event. And then there's also the physical science piece, which I can say just a little bit about. But again, credit doc to Dr. Aaron McDonald for that. So what I suggested is that, so for all of us, as I mentioned earlier, we all have one copy of our genes from, from our mom, one copy from our dad. 
under some sorts of stressful conditions, you may be in the presence of compounds or in the presence of radiation, sometimes you can end up getting two. So you can essentially, instead of being having two copies of your genes, you can have four or multiple. Right. This is very common in plants, and, and you see this in, in some fish and toads. You don't see it so much for mammals. But in theory, this is something that could happen. This is thought to be potentially a product of, again, stressful conditions or something like radiation. But also, there was a, I found one study <laughs> in bacteria that suggested that maybe by having multiple copies like this, you actually have more templates such that if some of your DNA strands gets broken, there's more templates you can use for repair. Right. Hmm. So I said, hey, this this potentially works. And Sukal was in this place, so maybe he's a polyploid. That makes him different. And what happened then is, his, is as part of being different, polyploids tend to not look exactly the same as the parental species. Uh, his vocal cords would have developed differently. So I suggested something like the opera singer thing. You know how an opera singer can scream and break glass, potentially? Right. In his case, he's screaming, and when he's breaking, he's not actually breaking dilithium, but he's breaking the normal space and subspace components of dilithium. Right, so by doing that, dilithium is supposed to have both of these two components. This is now this is going to Dr. Aaron McDonald's piece. <laughs> right, this then is something that can uh, that can spread through subspace everywhere, and by having that, dilithium can no longer control this matter antimatter reaction. So boom, right. <laughs> literally boom. Science, well, literally boom. Science. Yeah. <laughs> that made me hot. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to read more about it, we actually. <laughs> We actually couldn't fanning explain it. Yes, I'm fanning myself yeah. with myself. This is one of the challenges. Yeah, this is one of the challenges with consulting that we can't have like a whole seminar to explain something in the show. It has to be just a couple of quick lines. Yeah. Right. So what Dr. Aaron McDonald and I did is we wrote an article for StarTrek.com called "The Science Behind Discovery's Burn," and we laid out more step by step so that way fans aren't like that would never work. Like, well, here's actually, the pieces yeah. that at least work. Obviously, again, it's fiction. You know, the, the dilithium doesn't exist. Right. Subspace probably doesn't exist. <laughs> All these things. So. We've, I'm curious about this too. We were talking about earlier about you know the ways in which I mean certain mammals or insects communicate yeah. with one another. Yeah, like you know dogs have an ability to communicate with one another in a different way that we do. Could we, in theory, figure that out? Could we translate it? Yeah, sure. I mean, you'd have to uh, somehow get those chemicals and translate them. But yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think there would be. Don't we? I mean, pheromonally, isn't that? For sexual mating and the like, isn't that part of our? <laughs> it's always certainly for a lot of mating, for a lot of species that is absolutely true. So moths is a great example. Moths, uh, there's some moth. Uh... I'm trying to be biological. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. Right, it's good. That's good. There's some moth. Yeah. <laughs> there's some moth males. I could have jumped in on the dog line too. Get <laughs> <laughs> my mouth shut there. <laughs> Oh, Sorry. That's good. Oh, good. This is great. It won't make the show. <laughs> Back oh. to the moths. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's some moth males that have these very elaborate antennae so they can actually detect exactly where the female is because, it's, again, it's picking up these little tiny bits of, of particular chemicals and trying to track them down. So, yeah, oh, so they're born stalkers. Antennas. Yeah. Mm, creepy. Yeah. Tell me about your T-shirt. Oh, yes. So this is a earlier. picture of Guinan. It says on it, listener. Mm -hmm. This is actually, this was designed by Melissa Longo, who many of you know, who comes who from- Who is right here. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Melissa. Hey, you want to come and say hi? Yeah, come yes. on in. Come on. Oh, pick, pick a camera. Yeah. Any right, camera. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, get, you can get uh, Melissa's yeah. shirts from theintrovertedrepublic.com. And right. she has a shop there called Walking Art Made by Melissa. And uh, you can uh, listen and see her on the 7th Rule. On the 7th Rule podcast. Yeah. And yeah. you can. We're thrilled to have you here. Very, Thank you. very, very good friends of the show. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they say hello, oh. by the way. 
That was one of my mother's favorite sayings. Uh, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Yeah. And he meant it in that proportion. <laughs> well done. She obviously like didn't it. tell me. Oh. <laughs> so I gave you six mouths. <laughs> but, uh, this yeah. right here, that's a mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I think that brings us swiftly. We have a gift. To from some Jill gifts. Sheets. Oh, oh, bless Jill. Can you hand this out? <laughs> of course. Uh, well, let me hear it. I'll take it out so we don't get dressed on camera. I swear to God, I'm going to get home. I'm going to lie in bed tonight and I'm going to go. I had another question. Uh, <laughs> who's your favorite character on? <laughs> you can email me. Who was your favorite trip on Enterprise? Uh, all right, <laughs> uh, uh, let's try these on. Hang on. That's all. That for me? What does it say on it? Did Bahama get one? Uh... Nah, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a regular. It's you fine. want mine? Give me a shot. It's all good. <laughs> all good. <laughs> your favorite trip. Oh. Oh. All right, this is from Jill Sheets. Nice. Oh, okay. Nice. Oh, I like yours. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Jill. Very nice. Which welcomes my big fat brain. Look at that. Look at that. We should all go out for lunch. <laughs> Dinner, uh, table for four. Oh, you're for... Connor. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Thank God for the hat. Uh, thank you. I love it. Thank you, uh, Jill. Yeah. Bless you, darling. Yeah, uh, Jill also sent us all individual cards, so I'll pass Aww. those out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jill. And thank sorry, you. sorry, doctor. That's okay. I'm not a regular. It's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mind. She clearly despises you. I don't, <laughs> but I, I don't have a portrait like the one behind you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. By our, our new resident artist, Nate. Nate. Thank you, thank Nate. You, Nate. Thank you, Nate. Well done. <laughs> No disrespect to Tiffan because she's been amazing. Oh yeah, her work is fantastic. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's um, almost as though um, you know he's painting in the 20th century and she's painting in the 19th. Oh, oh, oh look at me go! Yeah. Oh, mm. You're such an art person, <laughs> art guy, <laughs> art person, art person. <laughs> How sophisticated. Um, which I think then gets us now to some fan questions. Fan Ooh. questions. Yeah. Let's I peeked at some of them early. Get, oh, you did? Where did you, where did you did. find them? Oh, On Patreon uh, and Instagram. Dr. Uh, Noor is a member of our, our... He's a patron of ours, so he has access to all the questions that our patrons yeah. have been asking. Okay. <laughs> I cheated. Which is a first, which is, was kind of weird. He walked up to me this morning and said, I've been reading all the questions already. I'm like, oh, you're cheating. Ah. <laughs> who was your, who was your favorite right. trip? Are you ready? <laughs> who was your favorite trip? <laughs> Annika from Patreon asks... Most mem- memorable Star Trek convention encounters. Most, uh, most memorable encounter. So I had a great one this year on the cruise. This was actually very moving. There was somebody who approached me and said, hey, I've gone to your genetics panels. I want to show you some genetic data. So there's these uh, direct-to-consumer genetic uh, testing companies, or not testing, genetic ancestry companies. Like 23andMe. Yeah, 23andMe, yeah, yeah. Ancestry, uh, DNA, things like that. She said, I want to figure out which of these two men is my father. Oh, oh heavens. Yeah. Wow. And she does not she doesn't have their profiles because then it would be very easy. <laughs> right. And they're also brothers, so they're very closely related. But she has various descendants from either one of them and said, see if you can go through this data and figure it out. And amazingly, things were just lucky enough. There was a couple of coincidental things that worked out that we were able to figure out with very, very high certainty that this one person and not the other one was likely her dad. On the cruise, she she wasn't sure. No, but that was fascinating. And just being able to have that, you know, help out this person in this way using genetics—that's amazing. I got a question about this. Sure. So, um, I I did twenty three and me. Yeah, me too. (laughs) uh, I I do know that um, 
most of my family mm -hmm. is from Northern Europe. Yeah. And my great grandmother on my father's side mm -hmm. was at least uh, 50%, maybe more, uh, Choctaw. Okay. And so I had been telling people my whole life that, you know, I was a, I'm a Native American. Yeah. I take this test. Yeah. And it turns out mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. that I am 99.5% Caucasian? White. Yeah. And this element of my great grandmother is literally in me. Yeah. Hardly there. Yeah. Two questions on this. I have a, uh, I have one a great thing is, for you on this. Um, how legitimate is that? Mm -hmm. And two, would my siblings may have more than I do? <laughs> oh, I'll great question. Great question. If they do. Well, let me start with the second one. The, okay. sec the, the second one is yes, unfortunately. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is quite possible. I thought you were going to say, can you prove that I am genetically superior to my siblings? <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> That's actually, my third question. Well, your first, on the first question, there's a really important thing that I think a lot of people don't appreciate, that genetic ancestry and genealogical ancestry are not the same thing. And they don't have to match perfectly. So you could have a relative what? that you know 100% was yours, you know, say seven, eight generations back, and you could have literally zero DNA from them. Oh, wow. Really? Right? Yeah. And your sibling could have some. And your sibling might have some. Though you could check by seeing if, you're, if your parent didn't, then obviously your sibling couldn't. But, right, right. But if your parent did, then it's possible. So that passing, it can be random. Like there, there's exactly, the pieces that are, that are passed on is not, it's not always like, oh, it's it's not like paint where you're right. dividing it in half right. and things like that. It's, you're, you're taking some little pieces and right. it's kind of like, it's like, it's like taking a handful out of, of M&Ms out of a bowl. Right. So know? it's not a determining factor. There's no real, again, it's like, you know, oh, I got... I got 11 green ones and yeah. my sister got four or 20. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they won't be, be wildly different usually, but yeah. they can be somewhat different. That must be part of the evolutionary process. It is absolutely part of the evolutionary the, process. Yeah. 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 The, the random factor exactly. ensures a greater survival. Survival. Yeah, well, not necessarily right. the survival. Well, they could affect survival. If it affects survival, then it's natural selection. If it doesn't affect survival, we call it genetic drift. drift. It's this population of uh, that. If you look at the abundance of a particular variant in a population over generations, it'll just fluctuate stochastically. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. Genetic drift. Genetic drift, which yeah. actually is used in Star Trek a few times, but incorrectly, because they say he's experiencing <laughs> genetic drift. Like, no, it's not a person. The person doesn't have drift. <laughs> but it sounds cool. Yeah, <laughs> Great question, Annika. <laughs> Next question is from Sean Coleman from mm -hmm. Patreon. Hi, Sean. I'm curious to your thoughts on what's the likelihood of a human humanoid-like species that are bipedal existing in the universe, according to the current scientific understanding. Or is it more likely that aliens have eight or more legs and look nothing like a Cardassian? It's a great question. So the sad answer is they probably are not going to look like either of those things. I mean, the most likely thing I think we would see someplace else would be like some microbe. Because if you think about what was life on Earth for the first couple of billion years, yeah, yeah. it was tough, all microbial, right? Tough, tough road. Just yeah, a bunch of tech yeah. bros hanging out in the bottom yeah. of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get this, yeah. get this right. Do you think that uh, we're alone? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'd be, I would be Hard shocked now. if we were the only. I mean, the universe is just so big. I, I would be shocked if we were the only origin. Do you of think life. we've been contacted? Oh, oh, oh now we're getting that's into a, it. That's a tough one. I don't think so. I've never seen anything that's that compelling for that. Hmm. Though I do love, uh, what's the name of the show that, that Robbie's the director for? Um, Resident Alien. Yeah. Oh, I love oh, that yeah. show. <laughs> Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk, yeah. He's fantastic. I've been contacted. <laughs> I've been contacted. Connor was abducted. <laughs> Forward me the message. You've been, you've been proved. Yeah. <laughs> I've been touched. 
<laughs> we talk about it a lot. It's it's very embarrassing. He goes to the spaceship every week. <laughs> How you guys doing? <laughs> back <laughs> hey Cliff anyway another question <laughs> Sarah Falk from Patreon asks would you rather be trapped in a swimming pool with a shark or a cage with a tiger oh I'm not a great swimmer so I think I'm gonna have to go with the the, the tiger, the, the tiger. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and I don't know what I'm gonna do to fight it off because I mean that's a I'll terrifying give you 20 thought. seconds yeah probably that's that's optimistic <laughs> here kitty kitty <laughs> sorry <Just> Sarah <laughs> <laughs> all right it's a great one uh Melissa H. from oh, yeah. Patreon. Oh, you know her. Oh, yeah. I know all these people. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek has many examples of unique species evolution, but not all are explained in a way that would be scientifically plausible. What is an example of an exobiological species seen in, Star- seen in Trek that you believe could possibly exist under the right conditions? Uh, biological species seen in Trek that could possibly exist under the right. Well, the, under the right conditions is a great uh, out there. I like that being in there. <laughs> Again, I, I still like the idea of something microbial. So if you go back to, I think the the first season of the Next Generation, there was this little thing called that they called the microbrain. <laughs> it was just this. It was it was something that was it was microscopic. It just emitted a little bit of light and kind of flashed. Oh, the the yeah. first the first pieces of that seemed yeah. like okay this is maybe possible the one interesting thing there was it was silicon based rather than carbon based that's a little bit less likely but it's not impossible so I like that aspect to it it then got, they, they then started interacting with each other and took over the enterprise and all these things that that got a little yeah. bit more out there <laughs> but the first pieces to that actually I thought were really cool and I thought that okay oh finally there's something microbial but I mean I guess it would be a boring show if they were just going around with little petri dishes trying to grow things up <laughs> we've discovered right. new life hello right. look microbe. at it. yeah look, there it is oh look it divided end credits yeah right exactly <laughs> all a bunch of voyeurs <laughs> I could play one of those mics. <laughs> uh, Sean Thomas Kane from mm-hmm. Patreon yeah. asks, is there ever any pushback in the academic world from your work with Star Trek? That's a great question. I'd say 75% of the people I encounter are very positive. Like, that's so cool because they love Star Trek too. Mm-hmm. They love the connection to Star Trek and they, they think it's fascinating and they like the outreach aspect. They say, oh, you're actually like reaching fans with stories to get them to learn science. So I always say my, my science talks are basically Trojan horses of science. It says Star Trek on the outside, <laughs> but inside science pops out. Right? Ha ha, taught you something. Ha ha, you just learned. <laughs> um, there is non-zero numbers who looking like, oh, why are you doing that? Oh. <laughs> And actually, even when I was writing this book, um, the, the one of my colleagues, I almost gave too much specificity where somebody could figure out who it was. One of my colleagues made the comment, why don't you just write a book on science, you know, teaching genetics and evolution? And my comment was like, there's a thousand books on that already out there. Why right. would I just do another thing that's basically the same? Right. I said, let me take an angle on this. But yeah, there, there's a I few people who kind great. of shake their heads and all yeah. they do is listen to opera and watch PBS or whatever. It's just jealous. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, great. Nothing against opera, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Mademoiselle Katie Carr from oh. Instagram asks... She's in France right now. Ooh. Parlez-vous français? Yeah. She does, apparently. <laughs> she does, too. What? <laughs> <laughs> if you could be a science officer on any starship, which one would it be? Oh, it's definitely the NX-01. I actually do love... I'm not saying that because I'm here with you guys. I love <laughs> the NX-01. I just love the, that that exactly. submarine yeah. feel <laughs> going out there and, and exploring for the first time. I think that's fascinating. Okay. I mean, the, you know, the... the 
the Enterprise D from Next Generation. It's like a cruise ship. I mean, that's not exploration. Yeah. <laughs> the chairs, cool. the chairs alone. Yeah. yeah. The lounge it chairs. Yeah. It, 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 it looks like they should be a one-armed bandit in front of I do love Next Generation, to be clear, but uh, I would definitely be on NX. More my ties, sure. please. More yeah. my ties. <laughs> All right. Our last question from Sam Monjovi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warp drive question. Oh, when Enterprise engages warp drive, how exactly is the ship moving faster? Is it riding a warp bubble? Please explain. Thanks. Yeah, this goes back to you know, I'm a biologist, I'm not a bi- an engineer. Yes. <laughs> now I've, I've heard Dr. Aaron McDonald talk about this, and, it's, and what she says is that nothing can go faster than the speed of light, uh, in, in terms of any sort of. I actually, I can't remember even the way she says it exactly. It's like space time can go faster than speed of life, but speed of light, but something in Mass normal cannot. space can't. So basically, if you do a bubble of space time, that can move faster than the speed of light. Something like that. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying nearly as well as she would say. This yeah. is definitely her field, <laughs> oh, not mine. my pay grade now. Yeah, it's about mine too. I have, I, 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 a bubble I, uh, of speed, light, light yeah, speed. Yeah. I, I met really? a guy. That's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Were you there for this? Uh, I, I met a guy at the um, um, Inclusion and Diversity Convention in Philadelphia. Oh yeah. Gaze in Space hosted and um, sat down with this guy uh, at this function in the first night. And I was, I said, what do you, I don't know you. What are you, what are you doing here? And he said that he uh, founded a company that they have figured out. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember him. Yeah. They have figured out, I can put this in a way. So they figured out a drop in the ocean of warp drive, but to have warp drive, there's an ocean to make it work. Yeah. Is that, is it, yeah, I don't yeah, really I'm know. A biologist. <laughs> <laughs> what, I remember, what I remember Dr. Aaron McDonald saying is that from early models, it looked like it would take all the energy in the universe to make it work, but then there were apparently something later which suggested it doesn't quite need all of it. <laughs> so right, right, a little right. bit less than that. I mean, so. once he said that, I think I went into soft focus and just kind of went like, yeah. Yeah. Now, this is way outside my special yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he took my ass off about it. Uh, Did he? Yeah, 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 for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool stuff, though. Ooh. No, it, credit I mean, to the people who get it. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Very good. All right. Star Trek for all the questions. Oh. Oh. No, that's it. Yeah. Oh, time Star to play Trek some trivia. Star Trek time trivia, the guys. Mark, Mark, Mark. Um, Just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're a Patreon member and you watch the show, so you probably know the rules. Know it's the rules. you three against Mark. Yeah. And uh, today we are playing for Patreon member That's on YouTube. That's their name. That's, that's on, on YouTube. YouTube. That's on YouTube. Okay. Thank you. Um, Dom, I that's feel on good about Thank this you. Uh, well, Mark is playing for our I know, we're up Mark newest member. Oh, I'm playing for our newest, brand newest member that we have currently. That is Eddie Roseberry, who Thank just you, became Eddie. a member. Thank, Thank you, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you. Good on you, mate. Five questions. Question number one. What starship propulsion system typically provides thrust to the starship under sublight speed conditions? A, the warp drive. B, the fission drive, C, the impulse drive, or D, the solar sail. Woo! Oh! Impulse. Yes. Get <laughs> <laughs> <Good> on ya. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a shoe in. <laughs> I don't Mark's awesome. I don't know. Don't How do I clear fl- it? Mom, don't worry about the flashing. It'll just do that. It'll, oh, turn, okay. yes. it'll still turn amber when it's ready. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Question number two. In the Next Generation episode, Deja Q, mm-hmm. Q is made human by the Q continuum mm-hmm. and states that he possesses an IQ of what? Mm-hmm. A, 2005, B, 1 million, C, it's unmeasurable, or D, more than Picard? Uh, 2005. 
Bang dong. Good job, Mark. One all. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Nuts. He says it very condescendingly, too. Yeah. By the way. Question. Just, I can't oh, imagine. Oh, right, why? Why not? You know, I can't yeah. imagine John Delancey <laughs> doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That must have been a real acting job. <laughs> hey, John. <laughs> Did he do it in a Russian accent? Oh, oh if only. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Question number three. In Enterprise, mm-hmm. what is Captain Archer's favorite pastime sport? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. A, baseball, B, water polo, C, darts, or D, dom shot? Yes, got it. Polo, polo, water polo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Polo, water, water polo. Woof, woof. We all got that one. It was like, yes. <laughs> Great. That was good. It was an odd one, that, wasn't it? The yeah. choice. but uh, It's because uh, Rick Berman's son was playing uh, water polo. Uh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Huh. Question number four. When Keiko O'Brien is injured du- during a runabout accident, mm-hmm. her baby oh, yeah. is transferred to what member of the crew as a surrogate? Mm. A, Major Kira, B, Dash, C, a Davo girl, or D, none of the above? Good job. What is it? Kira. 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 <laughs> <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I don't ding, know. Brandon <laughs> Darbo girl. I fancy. Mark's like, I don't like this three against one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, suddenly the rules don't make sense. <laughs> what are we at? I don't know where we're at. Uh, three, 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 one. one. Three, one. And last question. So. All right. <laughs> question number we're five. We're winning this week. In the Strange New Worlds episode, Among the Lotus Eaters, oh, yeah. what happens to the crew when they beam down to the surface? A, they are eaten by cannibals. B, they are sold to pirates. C, they encounter the Gorn. Or D, they lose their memories. They lose I their want mem- them. They, they lose their memories. They lose their memories. They lose their memories. I'm going with the doctor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, so we're playing, playing for. You can come back anytime, mate. <laughs> Thanks. I might, we might just get you back for this section every time. Yeah. We'll just we'll take, we'll take the guest out and put him back in. <laughs> we're shooing every time. Nicely we're done. We're playing for That's on YouTube. So that's on YouTube. That's on YouTube. You get a brand new car. Yeah. 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 It's and that uh, big. Eddie yeah. Roseberry, I'm sorry for losing for you. I'm sorry, sorry Eddie. Eddie. <laughs> Woohoo! Don't take the Patreon membership away for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess full. now we go on to... Connor's Remote Island. Well, I think you got there with Connor? Connor's Remote Island. No, I'm not Connor's there. Connor's Deserted oh, Island. Island. They're, they're all sort of posited around one another. Oh, okay. We can, we can wave to the island. It's a collection island. of islands. Right. So you're, you're it's an the one in the big house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Right. Mine's got a pool. <laughs> so uh, you are given the works of Shakespeare and okay. um, whatever religious... Uh, text you would like okay. and then what you get your favorite cuisine okay. you get your favorite author okay. musician okay. and dessert okay. and then you get a bonus item oh okay right and the bonus item we have to be clear about this it cannot get you off of the island got it right. can't be a boat <laughs> right can't be a boat um so your author my author i'm gonna go with arthur c clark Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. very good. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always liked reading his books. I mean, I haven't read any recently. Well, obviously, there haven't been any new ones, but I haven't, I haven't he reread the, any. Sort he, of he was, he really was the forerunner of pretty much all this thought, wasn't he? And yeah, then, you know. Yeah, no, and he was way ahead of his time. Totally, totally. Yeah. No, I, that was remarkable. When you see some of the interviews he gave, talking about stuff like, how did you even know that? Right. That 40, 50 years later, that would be just as you described. Yeah, yeah, I was in St. Paul DeVance one time uh, before a show had just finished. 
uh, and aired a couple episodes, but it hadn't done so in Europe mm. and rented an Airbnb and knocked on the door and this guy opens it and he looked at me and he was like, you're Trip Tucker. Like, <laughs> How do you know? And he said, because he had satellite television. Uh, Very wealthy guy. Yeah. Spent the evening with him and his wife. Mm -hmm. And he had two or three signed Arthur C. Clarke wow. books. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Okay. And, and a piece of Mars. Piece of oh, Mars. Oh, one of the Martian meteorites. I could get. Yeah, that would be possible. Is yeah. he a patron? <laughs> I don't know whatever happened to him. Oh. Yeah. There's so many uh, books for Arthur C. Clarke too. So just, there'd be a lot to read. That's yeah, another uh, advantage yeah. to it. It's not a small collection. Right. And that's what you want. Yeah. Because exactly. you're there for your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have the advantage of having watched the show like for every episode. So I've had time to think about this one. <laughs> right. Wow. right. Say, right. So uh, your cuisine. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, I mean, it sounds simple. But I just love Italian. Yep. Uh, the, yeah, there's one simple that, about Italian. Yeah. The one uh, extra piece is I want a lot of lactase pills <laughs> since I'm, I just recently became lactose intolerant. Oh, you intolerant. don't have that problem on your remote. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. Mm. Perfect. See, there you go. There you go. So I'm good. Um, or that's your Actually, bonus, a funny story. bonus item, maybe. Uh, yeah. No, I'm not using <laughs> it for that. I have a funny story about lactose intolerance. I'll come back to you in a minute. Uh, you're, you're a musician. <laughs> musician. I mean, honestly, the Beatles. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to beat that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, really again, is, giant it? catalog, really, really great stuff. Yeah. I mean, if that's what you're gonna have to listen to forever. I mean, I love Pink Floyd. I love a lot of other things too, but ah, the Beatles, prolific. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's a yeah. great T-shirt, and amazing. Yeah. yeah, it is, isn't it? God bless you. Thank you, Sandra. Yeah, yeah. very cool. Uh, Sandra, I like the Beatles too. Yeah. I like Led Zeppelin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he likes T-shirts. I love T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and where are we at uh, with um, dessert? dessert. Cookies. Ooh. There you go. I love oh, cookies. Just taking cookies. Yeah, I love cookies. And actually, you know, I always tell cookies. my family that for my birthday, I don't want a cake. I want a cookie cake. I love those Ooh. things. They're so good. Uh, cookies. See? Cookies are where it's at. What's your favorite cookie? I just love chocolate chip. I mean, it sounds simple, yeah. but like, it's so good. That's the <laughs> like, best. How do you beat perfection? Yeah, exactly. And your bonus item. What else? A TV. <laughs> oh, to watch Star Trek. Exactly. Was... Well done. That was exactly it. Oh, wow. Why? I don't know. I'm a fucking professor. <laughs> so, funny thing about lactose intolerance. Did you know that if you go back 10,000 years ago, all humans were lactose intolerant? All humans were lactose intolerant. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Well, there you go. And that, I mean, that's we're the only animal on the planet that still uses milk after we're weaned exactly that, that's a fact isn't that, it? and that's yeah. that's what happened so something like 7500 years ago in european populations this happened in multiple places but focusing on the europeans for just a second about 7500 years ago a new mutation arose in european populations that have been trying to use you know milk from cows for obviously n let me clarify cows like weren't as animal. adults yeah. cows <laughs> weren't an animal 7,500 years ago, were they? Or I mean, basically. I mean, they're, they're using, you know, pre-cows. It's pre-cow, yeah. <laughs> pre-cow. <laughs> pre <laughs> but this allowed this extra source of nutrition. So natural selection then allowed this to spread because here are these people who had this extra source of nutrition from there on out. Right. So then, you know, between 7,500 years ago and today, now most Europeans are lactose intolerant. Different mutation arose in, in Africa to do the same thing. Really? Just a little bit later. I think it was like 5,000 years ago or something like that. So we have these different origins of lactose intolerance. And again, babies were, were never lactose intolerant because that would obviously be very bad. <laughs> they, they would die immediately. It would be a tough but way to go. Again, what would normally happen is the gene that allows you to just lactase basically just would shut off around age five, six, whatever, something like that. And there was never any cost to that. But then all of a sudden, <laughs> when people started doing this thing with cows or other or camels if for, for my ancestors, 
Then there became this possible source of extra nutrition and natural selection allowed lactose, lactase persistence to spread. So anybody who's not lactose intolerant is essentially a mutant <laughs> because really? that's, the, that's the derived form. What about gluten intolerance? Is that a... That I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Damn it, because yeah. I'm gluten I have a feeling. Well, I have a feeling that's the, pro the processing that's taken place in the last yeah. you know, 75 yeah, years. Yeah. Well, yeah, no. yeah, not having ancient grains and... Yeah, we've, yeah. We've, uh, you well, know. We've, we've, we've turned uh, wheat into big bloat. I mean, yeah. a, a real wheat that only has a, a wheat few... Wheat shock little, is... Yeah, yeah, and we yeah. made them with... But yeah. I have heard that um, Northern Europeans are more likely to have gluten intolerance. Oh, interesting. Hmm. So they, there you go. Fun fact. They can drink all the milk and eat all the cheese they like. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and potatoes. And, and I yeah. must say, I think milking a camel must be easier because you can stand up while doing it's it. It's true. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. That's so dumb. <laughs> Uh, thank God oh we God. do this show. <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I, I do think that we should also at this time thank the Rogue Machine Theater. Oh, yes. Yeah. For yes. having us here um, who are in residence here at the Matrix. We're thank up you, here Rogue. in the bird's nest where um, it's hot as blazes. And, um, but we're very but grateful we're to very, be here. We're very, very, very grateful totally, totally. to be able to be here. And I want to thank you. Mohammed for oh, yeah, here. What, what a fantastic it was a great discussion truly an honor and pleasure yeah. and I've loved the show from day one I've been watching you guys from the very beginning thank I you, love man. the show thank it's an you. honor to be here and be a part of it so thank That's, you for having me yeah you. you are you are part of our canon and oh. and I I would say you are the first uh scientist that we've had I, we are the first yeah. scientist real yeah. one yeah, yeah. yeah. first thank real you. doctor yeah. first honor. real doctor good pretend doctors God bless you John God bless you Bob and Gates. Yeah. Thanks for a great Not show. real dogs. Yeah. No, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I believe we have a gift for oh, oh, yes. Doctor. Oh, uh, we do. Oh, um, so we are going to, uh, in your name, donate mm -hmm. to PanCan. Oh, uh, thank you. Oh, yeah. Great, great, great sorts. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to get Good you some cookies. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cookies. cookies. <laughs> I was going to say earlier, I wish I'd known about your cookie love. <laughs> We'd have thrown some cookies at you. Do you uh, have a toffee love, too? Pardon me? Do you uh, have a toffee? I have, I have more. He gave us toffee <laughs> this morning. No. That's, uh, that was very Chapel nice Hill toffee, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sorry not, for the wrong, sorry be, it's the not, wrong blue. Yeah, not to be mistaken for Duke uh, toffee. Yeah, we don't have any Duke toffee, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I, would have, I would have brought that. He brought us some toffee, and it's yeah. very good. I had, I couldn't wait, so oh, thank good. you. I did it. Thank you. Hold on, we'll see you in Vegas, baby. Yeah. I'll be there. I look forward yeah. to seeing all y'all. Thank you, baby, to you, sir. Dr. Baby, to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Anu, Nanu. Yay. Good working, I like it. Face your fingers. Oh my God. <laughs>